The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888 888- Eighty-four seventy-four. It's my privilege to introduce our morning devotion speaker. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Jerry Andrews is the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church, the historic First Presbyterian Church of San Diego, where he has been since 2009. Prior to that, he has pastored churches in the Pittsburgh and Chicago areas before coming to San Diego. He has multiple degrees, uh, MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, a THM from Princeton, an MA in Classics from the University of Pittsburgh, and a PhD from the University of Chicago. He has many interests, biblical, theological, historical, and especially classical, and he loves to teach patristic literature and the Reformed faith. But perhaps most importantly, he's married to his wife, Lois, and lives downtown and loves visits with their three children and grandchildren. Dr. Andrews, please come and bring us our morning devotions. Psalm 45, may I offer this to you. My heart is stirred with a noble... theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. By anointing you with the oil of joy, all your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, daughter, and pay attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's another skillful writer, Shakespeare, and his commentators say it's Psalm 45 that is his inspiration for his comedy, Much Ado About Nothing. Don Pedro in the Court of Aragon has returned from the wars, just like in Psalm 45. He's with his friends. They're still celebrating the victories. Now marriages are being arranged. Well, it's Shakespeare. They're being arranged and unarranged, then rearranged. Then un- It's a comedy. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's scenes from the bachelor's quarters. There's scenes from the women's quarters. There's nobility all around. Don't have time for Shakespeare? Make time for Shakespeare. Watch the movie. Denzel Washington, Kenna Reeves, Michael Keaton, Emma Thompson, Kenneth Branagh, Kate Bakinsale. Just plain fun. 
from the pen of a skillful writer. We're now looking behind the scenes, preparing for a wedding. The king recently returned from victories. The enemy has been subdued. He turns to domestic affairs. Swords and arrows give way to thrones and scepters, truth, humility, justice. Righteousness, not wickedness, will now rule. And there is joy. The bachelor's quarter, this is the king's bedroom. There's robes and fragrances and ivory and music of strings. In the bride's quarter, she's coming from the village. She leaves her father's house. She is beautiful. Soon she will be queen. Cities will bring her gifts. Nobility will seek her favor. She'll be the maker of the next kings. Her gown has golden threads. Her childhood friends accompany her. There is joy. There is special joy when she enters the palace. Psalm 45 is the song that celebrates the preparation, the day of the wedding, and God's blessed life that follows the wedding. Now, we just sang Psalm 45 from the Trinity hymnal. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for people who think that the songs of Israel are the songs of the people of God and, well, sing them, yes? Well, we have a Presbyterian hymnal, and every psalm is in there at least once or twice, but we have other wedding songs. I have to confess to you that they're right after the funeral songs in our hymnal. I'm not sure why that order. O perfect love, all human loves transcending, at my marriage with Lois, O love that will not let us go. But here's a few from our hymnal and the Presbyterian hymnal that are not to be chosen. Lord, why have you forsaken me? He never said a mumbling word. These are hymns, titles, that you don't choose at wedding times. Take pity, Lord. Make me a captive, Lord. Hear my cry, O Lord. O Lord, make haste to hear my cry. I have been offered some possibilities for wedding songs at weddings that I have performed. About half the weddings I perform, someone's in a military uniform, and half of those both are in a military uniform. That, brings all the more joy, and I'm all the more honored to be a part of it. But here are some suggestions of current titles not to use at weddings. Are you ready? Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, The Smiths. R.E.M., It's the End of the World as We Know It. Or Queen, Another One Bites the Dust. I had the privilege of attending several Indian Orthodox weddings from the Orthodox Syrian Church to which they are related because my sanctuary in Chicago was large enough to host the whole Syrian Orthodox community at weddings, and the whole community came. You cannot have a wedding in the Syrian Orthodox Church, the Indian Orthodox part of it, without, without the archiepiscopos, the episcopos, the deacon, the subdeacons. I think there were three or four more orders, and then I had the high honor of being on the bottom, which was good because the person on the bottom got the lowest part of the liturgy which thankfully was the only part in English. So I was glad for it. my Sanskrit and Hindi being a little weak. But here's what's to note. The couple was never addressed by name, nor will they be in that setting. They are addressed as Adam and Eve, and crowns are given to them, not rings, for the king and queen as if God is in his garden and with his relation walking in the cool of the day and meets with Adam and Eve again and blesses them. 
I encourage you to take part of one of these sometime when you have an extra four hours to give to it. Well, not every royal wedding in the Old Testament is going to be celebrated. Ahab and Jezebel, excited about that one? What they united did? It's all about injustice for them. And this one's all about justice. They persecute the prophets who called them out on their injustice. This king is passive. This queen is aggressive. There's a failed governance throughout the land and a failed marriage on every level. Perhaps there are some references within Psalm 45 to them as critique. But if we have to guess, we're gonna guess it's Solomon who's the first king to be celebrated with this Psalm 45, why not? He got married 700 times. Get your calculator out, over a 40 year reign, that's a wedding every third weekend. That keeps you busy, boys. Um, would you like to have the, uh, the royal floral arrangement? Every three weeks, you're in business. But in this psalm, the hopes are high, the prayers are important, the liturgy lingers on God's provisions and on God's justice. The singing is celebrative, the vows are sobering. But we've always been suspicious, rightly so I think, that this has something more to do than Solomon and one of his wives or a critique of Ahab and Jezebel or just a liturgy to be offered to all of God's people on any day that's the celebrates a wedding. Your throne, your throne, O oh God, it says, will last forever and ever. If the king in the psalm is God, who then is bride and queen? In the Old Testament, this is too unnuanced to be all that helpful to you, Israel's kings and kingdoms have a heavenly counterpart. God rules on his thrones in the heavens and all is well there. We rule on our thrones here, not all is well, but in parallel fashion, how God rules there is how we are to rule here. The Old Testament, will, the New Testament will change that a bit. There is one rule over all and his rule now extends through us into our own marriages and worlds. But the hints are strong even here, that more will follow, just these two on that one day. David on his throne forever? Yes, but he's mortal. It's not just David. Is there a merging here? Is there a melding here? There is not to be a confusion here, only God is God. A human king reigning forever like God? Deity and humanity? King? Hmm. Sounds like my savior. The rabbis read this as messianic. From whenever the first Christians got hold of this, we know of no time before which they did not think it was also messianic. And this was a portrayal of the savior. The kingdoms here are now our kingdoms, soon to be God's kingdom. They're temporary, yes, they're limited in scope. They're frustrated in their depth and in our leading of them, there's less parallel and there's more participation in God's kingdom. They're connected to God's kingdom, but only by derivative ways. We're scaled much lower. Nonetheless, God's kingdom. In Hebrews, the exaltation of Christ above all others includes this quote from Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, 
has sent you, that is Jesus, above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Well, you know the themes of Christ as king. I don't need to rehearse these for you. Magi bring him royal gifts to the the babe in the manger. The wicked king in jealousy deploys soldiers against the usurper, and there's the slaughter of the innocents. The angels proclaim Christ the king. He sits on an earthly throne in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us what the kingdom of God is like and will be. He died under a sign that said, King of the Jews, whom we proclaim Lord of Lord and King of Kings. As the Bible closes, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Well, if Christ is the king in Psalm 45, Christ is the groom in Psalm 45. God is ever wooing Israel away from false lovers and gods. The whole book of Hosea, most of the minor prophets, false covenants, commitments, false commitments are critiqued and judged and draw us toward God's wooing, a true covenant with God, the truth at the heart of the love of God for us. God who has always loved them, pursued them, and wanted them, he has promised them covenants. He has promised to be their God. He has promised to be their lover, groom and bride, lover and beloved. Jesus comes to offer this in person, this love, this covenant, this marriage, and to the whole world. We don't confuse our categories here. To be clear, friends, you and I are not the lovers of the world. God is. It's his world. He made it. And he wonderfully, surprisingly, I think, invites us to participate in his love for the world. But first and foremost, we are the beloved. I am not to confuse myself with my Savior. He loves the world. I am beloved by him. He, the groom. Me, the bride. That's foundational. That's covenantal. And yes, it requires every male in this room to take the part of the feminine, not only in the metaphor, but in the real relationship that lies behind it. Jesus will refer to himself as the bridegroom by referring to Psalm 45 when he tells the story about the brides who has virgin companions and who follow her. Ten virgins, you know the parable, late, wait at night, at midnight, five foolish ones did not prepare for the delay, not preparing for the coming of the groom. Five wise ones did prepare by bringing extra oil. It is where we get our phrase, extra virgin oil. Come on, I worked on that one. (laughs) In my study, that was so funny. Wise virgins, we are called to be, you and me. We still wait for the midnight hour, yes, don't we? The coming of the bridegroom, yes. Don't we anticipate the banquet of the marriage and the joy that comes? In the marriage feast of the Lamb in the last book of the Bible, the final scenes and the whole drama of God's salvation are now being drawn for us. A great multitude, a great sound, like the roar of rushing water. There's loud peals of thunder, they're shouting, they're singing. 
Are they singing Psalm 45? Hallelujah, for our God reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What will we sing at the marriage feast of the Lamb? Psalm 45 is my best shot. And we will be the ones singing it. For we are the bride. Yes. My heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite verses for the king. So, what am I supposed to do? What are we to do? Well, first, acknowledge the love of God. This comes first. God makes all the first moves. You know that. That's why you're at a Reformed seminary, friends. God makes all the first moves. we got a lot of moves to make. Don't make no mistake about it, but they are all secondary and derivative, and they come after. And the only good ones that we make are in response to the first moves that God has made. I'm no longer to run from God's love in my life. I am to learn to delight in it, to wait in it, to bask in it, and to trust it. That's a hard thing. If it was easy, more of us would do it. Trusting is probably the most difficult thing the Almighty asks of us. And so therefore, I think the thing he wants most from us. But why wouldn't I trust him? It's the only unfailing love I will ever know. Certainly not mine. His. Second, return this love to God. Enjoy the sense of being chosen, elected for God's purposes, beloved, waited upon. I'm to love who has loved me. Mine will be imperfect. But what is grand about this love is it's the only love I will know that has at least at one of its ends a perfect love. And I'm to love this one who has loved me and has given himself for me and has given his son for me. I'm to see his majesty. I'm to love his truth, his justice, his humility, his rightness, his righteousness. I'm to fall in love with God. If that's too evangelical a way of saying that, tough. I love the counsel that I give. Tough. It's my Savior. This is my God. Why wouldn't I love him? And to fall in love with him all over again. And I am to prepare for the day when we will be together in a way we are not now. There is a real absence of the Savior in our lives and there will be a real presence in our lives. And we will know the difference. I'm to gather my companions. I'm to embroider my garments with golden threads. I'm to put on the fragrance. I'm to enter the palace. Did you catch the themes of justice and righteousness in the reading? Is it possible that my marriage to Lois is to be characterized by God's justice and rightness in the world? If I had some thoughts about that at the time of marriage, it had something to do with, I will do right by my wife the way my father, a Presbyterian ruling elder, did right by my mother. And it was delightful and she thrived in it all her life. And I will offer this to mine. But more is expected of me than goodness to my spouse. Together, we become a means of God's justice and rightness in the world. 
a tool in the master's hand. My marriage, my marriage is an instrument in the justice of God. I am to love righteousness. I am to practice righteousness. I am to prepare to be in the presence of my lover forever and forever. I invite you to enter into this joy for this is your wedding day that Psalm 45 speaks of. This is not simply your invitation to the royal wedding. This is your invitation to your wedding. Let us pray. Lord God, by your favor, you have elected us to be your own. By your spirit, prepare us. By your spirit, draw us to you. And by your spirit, give us this joy that we may delight in your love and extend your justice. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.